Welcome to a ride on the outside. MMA is full of people on the inside, but what about the ones that watch from beyond? Welcome to the MMA Outsiders with Tom Albano and Zan Bando on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. And it's time for another edition of the MMA Outsiders. I'm Tom Albano. That's Zan Bando. Zan, hecticness, I think, is the word. A good kind of hecticness, a good kind of chaos. Lots of fights in the octagon, inside the cages, well, inside the ring as well with the boxing match with Yellow Alvarez. And a lot of developing stories that have taken over outside of the cage. So, a lot we got to get into with episode 37. We're just basically going to jump right into it. But before we do, make sure you hit that like button, make sure to subscribe, hit the notification bell so you get notified of all the Empty the Bench uh, Podcast Network shows here on the network. Uh, make sure to follow us across social media platforms at MMA Outsiders ETB and follow the network across social media platforms at ETB Network. Uh, if you are watching the YouTube uh, video stream of this, uh, we do have all the ETB Network shows up on podcasting platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Acasts, uh, Stitcher, all of them. So make sure to check those out if you don't want to see Xanonized faces and you want to take MMA Outsiders on the road with you. And if you are listening on those audio-only platforms, make sure to check out the YouTube feed as well. Uh, that's Zambando. You can find his work over at BJPen.com and follow him on Twitter at Zambando99. And on Talavano, you can find my work over at Fansided MMA. You can follow me on Twitter at uh, Thomas J. Albano. All right. Obviously, Zane, we are coming off a weekend where the two of us were very busy doing all these little recaps and such. And I know the big stuff it all is all within the fights, but the news that we've had has been, uh, let's say, quite newsy, for lack of a better term. And some of it, Zan, broke, of course, right after we recorded last week's episode and last week's episode aired. So there's a lot that we got to play, uh, a lot we got to play catch up on. But I think we'll be remiss if we don't start with uh, the big news story, the most recent of these news stories that involves one uh, former UFC lightweight champion, Tony Ferguson, who has been arrested for DUI in Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, first off, this is absolutely devastating. Um, I think you and I can both attest that El Kakui is one of the greatest lightweights to never win an undisputed UFC championship. And it's unfortunate that it has come to this. I mean, we, you know, we thought that maybe two or so years ago, Tony Ferguson was going to bounce back after the Khabib fight fell through once again. Obviously, his last four to five fights have shown anything but that. Um, and, I mean, I think really this is just a bottom of the barrel to where I, I don't know if it's the people around him or what's going on with him, but this is a bad look for a guy who was once thought to be one of the scariest lightweights in the UFC and a guy that could presumably challenge for an uh, undisputed title but never got his uh, his fair shake, if you will, I just think it's a bad situation all around, and uh, truly, I, I feel sorry for him and his family that he has to go through this because, uh, you know, with his age and everything, this stuff shouldn't be happening. Uh, Hollywood nightclub or not, it's just inexcusable, and 
and other people involved in the incident could have been even more seriously injured. Doesn't seem like anybody else was uh, injured as far as reports were saying, but uh, again, there could be more information to come out about that, but but still, I mean, this is just truly just a tragic situation of a guy that was maybe too good for his own ego and it caught up to him and it's certainly not a good look. So for the details, for those who don't know, taking from Brett Okamoto's report, uh, Tony Ferguson was arrested early on Sunday morning in a multi-vehicle crash in Hollywood. Uh, he had was arrested for suspicion of drunk driving. Uh, there have been some videos that have surfaced. There have been... Uh, there was a pickup truck that had flipped over, collided with multiple parked cars. And I believe at this time, it's believed now that that truck does belong to Tony Ferguson. At least that's what the reports have said, allegedly. Uh, the crash occurred around 2 a.m. Pacific time in the morning after UFC 288. And reportedly, Ferguson refused to take a breathalyzer test. Uh, his charge is only a misdemeanor, and there have been no injuries reported. So there is some good in that. But, Zan, I mean, you make mention of uh, a guy who, you know, maybe his ego is getting a little bit in his own way, and it's not a good look for him. Uh, Zan, this is not the first time that we've seen Tony Ferguson in quite the, uh, in quite the trouble in the public eye. I think back, Zan, to even before the fight with uh, Khabib fell through and he lost to Gagey while he was still on the win streak. Uh, 2019, when his wife filed a restraining order and said that he had basically was paranoid, he was tearing apart the house, he hadn't slept for days, he was believing, if you remember, he was believing that like a tracking ship had been placed inside him and he was being followed. It was quite the, uh, quite the scary scene for at least a month. And... I mean, yeah, like you said, this is not a good look, especially Zan when also you mentioned his age. He is 30. He's 39. He's lost his last five straight things ever since that 2019, 2020 just have not been the same for him in the octagon and clearly a little bit outside of it as well. So, I mean, this is one of those things, Zan, where if I... For the sake of Tony Ferguson, for the sake of his mental well-being, and the sake of just about everybody around him, I think it's time for Tony Ferguson to really take a step back and think about, just think about his life. Like, not even his, not even his octagon career, but just his life. Because now he's got this charge, and how is he going to face his family to explain this? Like you said, a Hollywood nightclub or not, is absolutely inexcusable, especially when, like you mentioned, that he has been a troubled person for, it seems at least, for a few years now. And I don't, I don't know. This is, this is a tough one. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, you, you want to talk about a guy where at one point in his MMA career, you know, he was thought to be linked to fighting Conor McGregor and, you know, other names like, well, um, I mean, just just other other big name fighters that he had competed against, and truly, I think he sort of did this to himself. I think he took too many fights where he probably thought he could have won, and he didn't. And not only that, he under underperformed in at least three out of those five losses, uh, from from what I can recall. And I mean, 
I, I just feel like he, he, I think his legacy will be that he had a meteoric rise and it's really going to be what could he have been post-2020 and this is just another cycle of Tony Ferguson again thinking that he's better than uh, everybody else and that he's too in for his own good and uh, it's, it's, it's unfortunate and I think he's going to have to look at himself and say, you know, what am I doing with myself? Should I be doing this anymore? Am I subjecting myself to more damage than what I thought I could sustain? And that's what I think his big issue is, is he doesn't know when to, when to say I'm, I'm done. And, and uh, we have, and, and, and I personally think, um, I know this was before we started doing this weekly show, but I thought even two years ago that he should have been probably done. And, I was going to say that what I'm going to say might sound like a hot take considering the performance that he that he and Diaz, the scrappy kind of performance they put on back in September. But you have to also remember something. That's Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz at this point in his career is a money and star fighter. Like he's not going after the championships at this point. So the Ferguson-Diaz fight... I don't know, maybe I'm wrong to say was a little spectacle-ish. And you look at that fight, Sam, and you look at, like you said before that, three of those other four losses, he looked absolutely pathetic. It was absolutely dominant. And you combine that with all these problems. I was going to say this as a hot take, but I guess if you agree with me, that I think you say the, the what could have been. And we have seen not just MMA fighters, but athletes that they have this quick rise up and then suddenly something hits and then everything is a what could have been. And I said this actually on, I forget if it was Empty the Bench or the predecessor Unspoken podcast a few years ago where we were talking about Josh Gordon, the NFL, and he had just been suspended again for, uh, for drug usage. And I said, honestly, there comes a point, and hopefully you agree with me, Zan, that the what could have been is a lot safer than trying again and again. And at this point, I would rather Tony Ferguson be a story of what could have been. I think it's time for him to be done. I think for the safety of his family, for the safety of his well-being, and just the kind of path that he has fallen on, it's time. It's way past time. And also, and and I know you're, and I know you didn't touch on this, but I'm going to because I just thought of it. And it's also for the safety of the lightweight division. I mean, think about it. You'd rather beat a Tony Ferguson who's 32, 33, 34 that's on a nasty win streak instead of beat a guy who's 38, 39 and hasn't been himself in four years. So even for the betterment of the lightweight division, it's time for him to to go. Because if you think about how deep that lightweight division is, and we'll go into this more in the next several weeks, but if you think about it, Islam Makhachev, Dustin Poirier, Charles Oliveira, Benil Dariush, Michael Chandler, the list goes on and on. Those guys are nasty individuals that are still fighting at the top of the sport. Tony Ferguson, as as I've already alluded to and omitted off and omitted off that list, is simply not one of those guys anymore, which further proves the point that, yeah, for the safety and betterment of the lightweight division, just on that fact alone, DUI or not, he should probably be done. Yeah, and I think just this kind of uh, case kind of uh, that this kind of case kind of just emphasizes it. And Dan, 
I am a little concerned because you think back to when we mentioned 2019, the whole restraining order with his wife and 2019, he didn't seem to be in a good place. Something that really sticks out to me with Tony Ferguson in a negative way, Dan, was the next year in 2020, I think it was in 2020, there was that press conference in the lead up to the what could have been Khabib fight. And one yeah, of it was, it was, yeah, it was 2020. It was uh, around like mid-February when they were first starting to promote that fight. Yeah, and I, yeah. And, and hopefully, you know, where I'm going. I, one of the a reporter had basically said, you know, to thank him about, you know, showcasing the struggles with mental health. And he basically told that reporter, F you. And Zan, unfortunately, you know, like I said, I, I think he needs to take his safety into consideration with this and with his MMA career because sometimes, Zan, people will realize that they need help when it's way too late. Yeah, and I think he falls into that category almost exactly, if not 100% exactly. So, truly, as someone who watched this guy, you know, go up the rankings and win his season of the Ultimate Fighter and be, you know, a real uh, staple of not just Team Lesnar, but but to show the lightweight division that you can go on these long win streaks, which he did, to see the way his career has closed out, it's a... What could have been? We could be talking about. We we literally could be sitting here on this on this podcast, recording this on a Monday night in 2023, talking about you know him being a multiple time world champion and him you know knocking off some of the best fighters in the sport. And now we're sitting here talking about you know his trials and tribulations, and most of those tribulations just not being fixable. And this is just another one of those instances. So. Truly, I really do hope for his sake that he's okay. And I also do hope that for his family's sake that th- they're also okay. And truly, if, if anybody around him is smart, they would tell him what we're saying right now, which is it's time to go. And that's the only thing you should be thinking about is how can he make himself a better person to not do any more further damage than what he's already done. I think that this this Hollywood thing uh, should be the straw that breaks the camel's back for a lot of people in terms of people who maybe supported him a little bit too much during all of his other instances. So I'm done on that drum, but it's truly devastating to see what this has come to. And like we kind of alluded to, if he goes into another MMA fight, I'm scared that, you know, I'm scared of another brutal knockout for him. Yeah, not just another brutal knockout. I think it would be an embarrassment to 155, as I alluded to a minute ago. But knowing the UFC, if the money makes sense, they're probably going to end up doing something. So obviously, as we both know, the UFC has said nothing about it. No surprises. uh, But just something to think about uh, as the year progresses and his current status. And it's definitely another blimp in the road for him. if anything, to put it lightly. That was just one of the many news items we had over the weekend, though, on top of the, the several fights that we had, Tom. Plenty of more news that we got to get into, Zan. And I do want to take a little bit of a break to talk about the Francis Ngannou situation. So, Zan, the week has come and gone, and no new promotion announced any sort of Francis Ngannou signing. PFL rumors are... Still rumors, 
Uh, we still have no official update on anything about where his potential future lies other than what we talked about last week. However, uh, I think this was on the uh, MMA Hour with Ariel Hawani that aired on Wednesday, so it aired a few hours after our episode had aired. A little more of a wrinkle to uh, to this uh, Francis Ngannou negotiation thing. And I want to see, just like last week where we had Jed Goodman pull the clip from uh, the MMA Hour, I have the uh, clip here. So let's see if I can get that. Uh, if I can get that up. Yeah, there we go. All right. So this is... Uh, this is Ariel Hawani going more in detail into the whole uh, situation about that Francis doesn't want his opponent to make under a certain amount. One of the things this guy's asking me about one of the one of the things that he is asking for, I could tell you this, is he wants a guarantee from whomever he is fighting for promoter wise that his opponent cannot make under a certain take at least a minimum he wants a guarantee that his opponent can pay the word do you understand what i'm saying so if so francis and ganu signs on to fight anti delelli and they want to pay for anti like thirty thousand, he's not down with that he wants his opponent to make a certain amount as well. What that number is, I don't know. But he wants to guarantee that they cannot go under that number. They could go above the number if, if that person is worth it, whatever his deal is. But you can't underpay the opponent. Who else is fighting for these things? Who? Tell me who. Tell me. And we're going to shit on that guy. That's, that's what we're going to shit on. That's why this whole thing is, is messed up. God forbid anyone actually tries to get the fighters what they are owed to bring them together, to have a collective voice. God forbid that actually happens one day. That person is in for a real treat. So, Zan, coming off of that clip, uh, obviously, like I said, this aired, that clip aired on the Wednesday MMA after our last week's episode aired. I know you had uh, some harsh words about Francis and God just saying that basically, well, not just about Francis, but that basically... You don't see a better home for him than the UFC. Does this report from Helwani and others change anything that you said last week? No, it doesn't. I think we're still back in the same discussion that we were in a week ago. Regardless of what dollar amount Francis Ngannou's opponents want, which is great, which is great, more power to him. He's now going to be able to have the, the leverage to do that. But again, the issue that comes in and the issue that I don't think Ariel was really touching on more so, I don't know if it's because he doesn't want to or what his deal is. And don't get me wrong, I, I, I like him. I'm glad that he's able to give us these nuggets. But it's like, Ariel, who is Francis Ngannou realistically going to fight if it's not someone within the UFC at his same level? Who, who is he? Who is he going to fight? I mean, is 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 the guy that he mentioned in the clip even is he even a is he even a mainstream star? Like, I didn't I didn't know who that was until he even brought him up. I had to I I had to look him up to see who he was. I I, I didn't know who he was. So my point in saying that is, like, 
Like, are people really going to pay? Are people going to shove out ESPN Plus pay-per-view money to watch Francis Ngannou versus Greg Hardy? Like, like, is is that really what this has come to? Like, I don't understand. Again, like I keep saying, and I'm going to keep saying it until he makes a move, which we assume is going to be with the PFL at this point. As as far as what reports were suggesting, but but that still doesn't change the fact. Who is he going to fight? That's a draw that people care about. That's exciting. That's going to give him the best possible fight. Because if you can't find that fighter, what are we what are we doing here? I I understand he wants all these things and he wants like you know better support for the fighters and more flexibility as an independent contractor. I get all of that, but when you're but when you're the champion and you have and you have leverage the way that he the, the the way that he has leverage, you should want to fight the best fighters in the world. You don't want to have your legacy be, oh, I'm the guy that decided to, you know, retire early because I couldn't hang with, you know, with you know the upper echelon of, of, of the GOAT conversation. That's exactly what he's doing here. He's putting himself in a corner to where if he doesn't make a move soon People are going to forget about him because he simply hasn't fought in a year and a half. And I think Jesse on Fighter, who's one of the best independent YouTubers in the MMA space, has been covering this issue extensively. He he nailed it on the head. He 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 literally said Francis Ngannou fumbled the bag, and he did it in the worst possible way because he didn't he didn't present himself as someone who. As as far as his analysis and his own knowledge of the situation is concerned, he he also believes that he didn't leverage himself and put himself out there to give himself the best opportunity to get himself the best contract to get himself the best possible opponents. And we're back in a situation where we still don't know what's going on with them. And the Tyson Fury fight looks like it's dead. A Deontay Wilder fight looks like it's completely off the table. And now they're going to look at potentially fighting in PFL Super Fight Division, which I mentioned last week isn't even really established. What do you have, Jake Paul and, K- and Kayla Harrison? Well, I, I don't I don't understand how the, this is a worthy investment for a guy who was presumably the baddest man on the planet and the former UFC Heavyweight Champion. To me, it just doesn't... Makes sense. It's like he's playing with fire, but he doesn't know how to use it in a in a in a proper sense. He hasn't he hasn't chopped the wood yet. If you if well, he's he's only he's only in the beginning stages of this whole thing, and I don't think he realizes that. And I think Francis Ngannou can hang with some of the best in this in the you know the heavyweight scene. Yeah, he I'm not. Seen. Yeah, hang, hang on. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that. But when you but when you go out and you and you decide to to test the free agent market while knowing full well that that the that the goat of the UFC in John Jones is sitting there waiting for you and it's the biggest fight in the sport uh, as of this very moment and it's right there for the taking and, and we're going to get into more of this later but when he's literally saying that he will retire unless you come back that tells you that someone believes that you are a big star and you can make two to tango. Like I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand that. I I used to be on the side that he was doing the right thing, but now that he's holding out, he's asking for some of these unrealistic demands. 
I just, I just don't know. I really, I, I, I was saying, hang on, because if you're refer- referencing the Chatri thing, I think Chatri's being a liar. Like we said, we established that already. That Chatri probably got out ahead of the news story about the break off with the one championship talks before before the news could get out. No, I just mean, no, I just mean I just mean overall this entire this this entire holdout. What I think, Dan. What I think this this is, seems seems un, seems unrealistic. What I think this is is that he is putting up a valiant fight, and it is a great cause. But it is a cause that is bigger than him. This is something right. that we have talked about 10, 15 years with this sport. About I would, I'd say at the very minimum since the Fox deal, maybe that with the with the UFC and Fox. That basically you have all these fighters who, you know, are kind of getting underpaid, and you consider everything that a fighter goes through with all the different, you know, all the things that they owe, that the ultimate pay for fighters at towards the end of the year, it kind of stinks. And especially stinks when you lose. And we have all these, we have the UFC making these practices where they will, you know, sign a bunch of guys, like let's say contender series and ultimate fighter. They'll fight the four or five fights and then they'll completely move on to other people. That it's very rare for somebody to have, you know, like a Francis Ngannou and such now, or John Jones or any any big star. And I think Zan, maybe this is me talking out of my ass, but I think Zan, I think part of this is also the UFC realizing what's happened with Conor McGregor because I've said on the show, I'll say it again, Conor McGregor is bigger than the UFC. Like it or not, love him or not. He is. And the UFC and Dana are basically at the point where they cannot let that happen again. And they don't want something like that happening with with a Francis Ngannou. And so, but kind of go, it kind of goes to what you said, that the biggest fight, obviously, out there was, has been Francis Ngannou versus John Jones. And that bag might be fumbled, although we, we will talk about that maybe there is some redemption that could be made. But that's if the UFC and Francis Ngannou make up. And I don't know if either side is going to make up with one another. Combined with the fact, Sam, that, you know, the PFL signed Jake Paul. The PFL has made the free agent signings. How much, like, I question how much money is the PFL going to throw at Francis Ngannou? Yeah, and it leads me back to my other question. Tom, realistically, who can Francis Ngannou fight? In the PFL, that would be a worthy challenger. That's that's my biggest question because if they can find someone to, to give him a real fight, good for them. It'll do it'll do well. But if they can't, I feel like they're simply wasting an investment. I mean, like like you said, kind of replied. It's a big positive for for the PFL if the reports are true and that Francis Ngannou does sign with them. However. I mean, there is still the risk because, like you said, the super fight division, you know, still needs to be established. But I, th- it's a bigger risk for Francis Ngannou because who do, who's going to be your opponent? How much money are you going to make, and your opponent's going to make? And Dan, the PFL is crazy. We have seen crazy upsets throughout that promotion over the years that it's been the PFL. What happens if Francis Ngannou loses one of these fights? 
Yeah, especially if it's against a guy who has even half the experience that Francis does. It's all right. very interesting. Like, like what happens if he loses to a Fabrizio Verdum or uh, if Antonio Carlos Jr. moves up the heavyweight when they, and he loses to him? I mean, man, if Verdum beat Ningano in a hypothetical, I think it would be the biggest upset in almost 15 years. Would it, it, would it, would it not? I mean, it would have to be the biggest upset since he, since Verdum did the same to Fedor. I was going to say, well, who's to say? I mean, who's to say he can't do it again? True, but it depends on what Verdum shows up. That's either an order. That's a fight that I would actually be interested in watching. All the other ones, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about. But nonetheless, this is still a very much a developing story. And yes, I did go on a crazy rant. You could either disagree with me or hate on me all you want, but I'm still sticking with my claim that I really do think that Francis is making a mistake, and he needs to he needs to make a move. Uh, rather quickly, in my opinion, because the more he waits, the more he's going to fall out of the spotlight. So now let's talk about the other uh, branch, if you will, to that story. John Jones has basically implied uh, earlier this uh, or in the last few days, I believe on social media, correct me if I'm wrong, that it, it is true that after, the plan is he will fight Stipe at the garden and then he will hang it up. But he throws in a caveat, as we kind of alluded to, that if Francis Ngannou and the UFC were to ever make amends, uh, I would assume within like a year or so, if the MSG card does happen in November and Joan Stipe happens at the Garden, as everyone is saying, that maybe Jones will do one more fight, if only to get that long-awaited Jones and Ngannou fight. Yeah, uh, he, let's see... He said this uh, via Fox Sports Australia. Oh, Fox Sports, right, right, right. Fox Sports. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is smart. I mean, Jones knows where the money is. He knows that Stipe is the biggest fight that can be made right now. And he probably doesn't think that Sergey Pavlovich or any of these other heavyweight contenders are interesting because he knows that he can beat them. So he knows that his last worthy opponent before he hangs up the gloves, if he comes back, it's Francis Ngannou. So truly, if I'm John Jones, uh, you, you can't blame him for saying any of this, because given what he's done in the sport, and he wanted to go up to heavyweight and test himself, and I think it goes back to what Cormier was saying about a week or so ago, I think, well, he thinks, and I agree, and I agree with him, I'm not sure if you, you agree with him, but Cormier thinks that Jones is starting to realize that heavyweight is a little easier. So he's just saying, okay, I'm going to go win the heavyweight title. I'm going to see the, the status of the division. And he's realizing that the guys below him are pretty beatable in his eyes. Or therefore, he doesn't even think he needs to clean out another division because he'd be duplicating what he did at light heavyweight for over six years. I mean... The heavyweight division, I think, definitely has taken a little downturn. I mean, the talent is still there, but it goes to what we said kind of last week, and you kind of, uh, you kind of alluded to that. You know, this Jones Pavlovich fight would be so interesting, and Pavlovich has done more than enough to warrant a title shot. But when you're John Jones, you're not going to go after him. You're not going to want to fight him. You're going to want to fight 
a Francis Ngannou. You're going to want to fight a Stipe Miocic. You're going to want to fight some big star that will get you the kind of money, especially when you're John Jones and you're in the last fights of your career. Right. And if this was boxing, he would be mandated to fight Pavlovich. But in MMA, it's a different it's a different beast. That's what makes it even more interesting. And I mean, so, it, kind of, it kind of connects them to what we were talking about with Francis and that fighting a beast that's much bigger because the promoters decide everything with MMA. This isn't like boxing where you have nationally sanctional bodies that are deciding everything. For sure. So in your opinion, let's play a hypothetical. So let's say the Jones-Stipe fight happens. Hopefully you end up ending it. For your sake, I hope it does happen. So you can you can say that your first UFC event was the biggest heavyweight title fight in promotional history. So let's let's play a hypothetical. The fight at MSG happens. Jones wins. He retires. Is 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 the fight Stipe Miocic in another title fight against Sergey Pavlovich, or is it Cyril? It can't be. Like uh, like it kind of stinks that it might have to be either Stipe or Cyril gone, but I mean, <laughs> it, it it just cannot be. You know, Stipe Miocic, after he waits out two, two and a half years for another title shot. And I talked about that, you know, he did all this waiting out. We thought he was crazy. And because of the Francis situation, he comes out a winner with all the waiting out. But yeah, and now and now he's going to get the heavyweight title fight. So he, he so so if he uh, if he wins, he's definitely the biggest winner in this whole saga. But if he loses, and I can't, you know, you wait two and a half years, and then you lose, and then you get another title shot. I, I just, unless he and Jones go to some controversial decision, I can't see that. I would have to relent on Cyril Gon getting the getting the shot. And Zan, I mean, I know Sergey Pavlovich just fought, but I mean, has Cyril Gon fought since? Uh, when was the last time? Gone fought. Uh, tie, was it Tai Tuavasa last summer? I was going to say, was it? He still hasn't fought since the. Oh no! Wait, he fought Jones. He fought Jones. Prior, but prior to fighting Jones, yeah. Prior was to Jones was Tai Tuavasa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, well, you, but, Jones... but but you and I both know if Cyril Gotten had won that fight, we'd we'd be promoting an immediate rematch for UFC. Ninety. You already you already know that that would have been that would have been the fight. Yes. Yeah. Hang on. Hang on. Yes. But my point is, if Jones beats Stipe and retires, if Jones beats Stipe and retires, then I can't see giving Stipe after all this waiting and stuff and just doing another title fight when Cyril Gon's only losses in MMA at this point have been to Zan, Francis Ngannou, and John Jones, two actual heavyweight champions. And Sarah Gan has consistently over the past couple of years been at the upper echelon of the heavyweight scene. So maybe they're holding off on Sarah Gan. I know Sergey Pavlovich just fought a couple of weeks ago against Curtis Blades and won in a devastating fashion that brought about this talk. Maybe they don't do anything with either of those guys. So that way, if November Jones wins and retires, then there you go. A couple of months down the line. You know, a couple months after that, you throw Gon in there with Halvich, and then there's your title fight. Uh, yeah, 
I mean, regardless of which way you slice and dice it, the top of the heavyweight division is very uh, suffocated, if you will. It's so backed up by this Jones, Francis, Stipe, Sergey saga that, Tom, knowing the UFC's timeline, it may take over a year to figure this whole mess out at the top. But um, knowing what we know, it makes for some darn good parodies. Well, this should be very interesting. For sure. All right. A couple other news stories to get into. So I made sort of a mention of this last week. So this news came out, Zan, after we had recorded, finished recording, but I was in the process of editing. So what I decided to do was we were making fun of Nunes versus Pena 3. And then I showed a uh, photo of the news bites and just uh, played this in the background. And a bit of an update to correct our previously recorded cells from last week. Uh, Juliana Pena is out. The UFC has officially confirmed this. They confirmed it, obviously, on social media last week. And they confirmed it on air officially at 288 this past Saturday. Juliana Pena is out due to injury. Irene Aldana, who many feel like should have been the next uh, Bantamweight title challenger, uh, you know, on this, just completely... She is now in. She will challenge Amanda Nunes on about four, four or five weeks' notice at UFC 289 in Canada in June. Yeah, nonetheless, though, you and I can probably assume that Eldon has been training for this fight a lot longer than the five weeks that she will have to prepare. I mean, if you think about it, even though she is taking this fight on five weeks' notice, we kind of assumed that one way or another this fight was going to happen, and now it is um, playing out as we thought. We just didn't know Pena was going to get injured, uh, and we hope she's okay and that she heals up. Um, I believe it was her her shoulder that she dislocated, which is a complete bummer. Uh, But um, nonetheless, I mean, this is is the fight, right? I mean, obviously, UFC 289 is not the most star-studded card, but Aldana is next in line, and she's worked very good over the last year. And um, I mean, this would be an outstanding win if they were able to somehow beat Amanda Nunes. And stylistically, I think she matches up very well. I think she's going to give Nunes some problems that maybe she hasn't seen yet, especially with her kickboxing. But I just think Nunes is overall the better fighter. I think she gets it done either in four or she wins a five round decision. Uh, nonetheless, the Oh, this will be a competitive fight uh, compared to Nunez's previous opponents where, you know, we kind of got to that cycle where she was fighting kind of the same style over and over and over again. Aldana, I think, is going to give her some problems that that uh, that maybe she hasn't seen. I think Aldana will put up a good fight, but as of right now, I don't see anything that might trouble Nunez uh, completely. I could see very well, Sam, this sort of one-sided I could see a unanimous decision. I could see it being uh, 49-46 or something like that on the scorecards at the end. Yeah, yeah, 49-46 or 50-45 sounds accurate, which leads me to my next question. Um, Whoever wins this fight is going to fight Pena next. Will they they not? I mean, that that seems to make the most sense to me. What, what What do you think? No, I don't want Nunes Pena three. No, it doesn't make sense. 
It doesn't. I don't know what's more mind-numbing. If we have Nunes versus Pena 3 again after Nunes uh, defeats Aldana, or Zan, the fact that because Irene Aldana is now taking this fight, the new main event of the August, uh, uh, May, 20, May 20th UFC at the Apex is going to be Mackenzie Dern versus Angela Hill. No disrespect to either of them. Yeah, that's a very good point. Unfortunately, that's not the the strongest main event. And uh, I feel for the UFC intern that that has to be their first event as an intern, uh, which which won't be me, uh, spoiler alert. But uh, but yeah, I mean there you there you go. Uh, Apex never died, right? <laughs> I guess not. I guess not. All right. Uh I think Zan, it's time for you to do a little ranting again. All so, right. all right. So, uh, for those who don't know, Dana White likes to stroke his ego a lot. Uh, if you watch this guy's press conference. Uh, over uh, over the weekend, if you will, um, he uh, he said something that was very uh, it's just kind of questionable in the in the many lines of uh, of Dana White over exaggerations. And before I get into this rant, I could be totally wrong. The numbers could suggest that he is one hundred percent right, and everything he said was true based on the metrics. But I'm going to do this rant anyway, just because there have been several reliable sources over the years that have proven him wrong over and over and over again. Um, okay, so uh, to break it down a little bit, a reporter asked Dana White what the SLS uh, Skateboarding League was all about and why it was on Rumble and why it was taking place in Chicago. And Dana went on to kind of basically say that he's in a bunch of other business ventures with Lorenzo Fertitta, his old business partner in the Zufa days. Then the reporter asked a follow-up question, pretty much saying, okay, is this going to be the same thing as pr- promoting Power Slap as a cross-promotional thing? And Dana goes into this big thing about not only is Power Slap successful, um, he, he, he describes it as awesome, and then goes into this really bold statement that the deal that he just signed for Rumble is bigger than the deal that they signed um, with, uh, with Spike TV for the Ultimate Fighter postseason one. That I believe. Then he goes and, and says something completely outlandish, which is that Power Slap beats every major American professional sport on social media. Let me say that again. Every major American professional sport. That's pretty large. You Here's, the sorry, yeah, you know, here's yeah. a quote. Dana White claims Power Slap's social media metrics are, quote, number one in all of sports. If you take the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, F1, WWE, and added all of them together, that they basically don't match up to Power Slap. So, Zan, I'm sorry to interrupt your little rant here, but hold on a second. That I, I need to insert this. Why the fuck you lying? Why you always lying? Mm, oh, my God. Stop fucking lying. Not only, did he, not only did he say it with a straight face, he literally says, oh, not only is it awesome, but I don't care what any of you media members think about it. 
Uh, Dana Blast, I checked. Uh, you have millions and millions of followers, my guy, on both Twitter and Instagram. You have you have publicly interacted with the likes of me and many other bots across the internet over the years. I'm obviously not a bot. My point in saying this is you absolutely care what people think of all of your products because you wouldn't be making the decisions that you're making. That's number one. Um, number two, I had never heard of what Rumble even was before season one of Power Slap. So for you to try to convince me that Rumble is like the biggest thing in the world and that like alternate YouTube is the way of the future, I'm I'm sorry, but I, I can't just buy any of that. I mean, what Power Slap really is is it's a it's a it's a sideshow. It's it's good for social media because it's really fast. But for you to tell me that it gets bigger numbers than a bunch of the biggest corporations in the world, not to mention that we have the NBA and NHL playoffs going on uh, right now as as we speak, like I, I just I, I can't. And you're also the same guy that claimed in 2008 that you don't even read one sentence of an email that your workers OC had sent to you, yet you yet you care enough um, to 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 respond to the media about what they think of your your metrics that you and your team supposedly came up with. So I'm I, I I'm done now, but I, I think that's really crossing the line, and I think after 20 plus years. I think I think his ego has gotten so big that he just thinks he can say anything and that no one's going to question him about it. And as much as he's done amazing for the sport and he's gotten it to where it is, um, I got to say it's going to be very uh, refreshing if the next hire is done correctly uh, to see a, a, a new face in charge. Because I can tell you what, if it's going to be a business-like guy who isn't as fiery as he is and it's very, like, kind of down to earth, similar to Scott Coker in many ways, I think the sport might be in a better place. I'm not discounting anything he's done, but I think his ego has gotten a little bit too big for him. Uh, I will add to that, by the way, Zen, that we were talking about power slap. Don't forget something, because we were talking about Rumble, and you never heard of Rumble. The only reason they're on Rumble is because he had this deal with TBS for power slap, and he slapped that away when he slapped his wife on New Year's (laughs) Eve. He lost that, and he screwed that one up horribly. And then he sure did. And yeah. then he and then he said, "Say whatever you want about me." But then on the other side of his mouth goes, "Oh, what should my uh, what should my uh, repercussions be?" Uh, uh, no shit, Sherlock. You should have been fired or suspended. <laughs> and the thing is, and the thing is, Dan. I don't know if anything is going to have you talk about the next high. I don't know if somebody is going to play because I think back then to that Ari Emanuel deal when the reports were that the UFC and WWE were going to merge into this, you know, off, you know, off company outside of uh, Endeavor to this TKO, whatever it's going to be. I don't think it still has a name yet, which is kind of nuts. Uh, but, the, but Ari was basically always seemed to, you know, he likes the guys like Dana White. He likes the guys like Vince McMahon, who are absolute characters. So, I mean, I kind of look, I like, I get what you mean that if you have another level headed guy like a Scott Coker in charge of the UFC, or maybe like, uh, or like a Ray Seppo, who we see over in the PFL, that if we have somebody like that in the UFC realm, that there can be something better. But I, I don't think that's ever going to happen. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not even saying better. I just mean like, come on, man. Like we 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 get it. We we understand you're you're probably bigger than most of your own fighters, but you can slow your roll a little bit. I mean, I mean, I mean, power slap is cool in your opinion, but it's not. It, it just it just isn't on the same level of any of those four. But if you uh, if you have it, uh, Tom, can you can you roll the can you roll the clip? Really quick, because as he as he was saying this, I couldn't I couldn't believe it. <laughs> the deal that I just cut for, for for slap is bigger than the UFC deal we cut with Spike TV after the first season of The Ultimate Fighter. I don't give a shit what the media says about it; they don't matter. So money wise, it's working out, is what you're saying, basically. It's yeah. unbelievable. Not only is it unbelievable money wise, it's been unbelievable as far as social media goes. We're number one in all of sports. And when I say all of sports, if you take the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, F1, WWE, and who am I forgetting, and added them all together, their numbers don't compare to slaps. Um, yeah. You, yeah. That seems a little doubtful. Yeah, you can doubt it all you want. I mean, I was covering for the finale of it, and I saw the numbers on Rumble, and... You, there were people watching, but... There were people watching. It did 3.2 million viewers, and 1.7 million of them had never been to Rumble before. Well, I was one of those, that's for sure. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, but it certainly, that number didn't show up on that counter that Rumble but had. But that's how it works when you stream. When streaming, it's not really the actual number right there. Um, it's the same thing when you go live on Instagram. I mean, is Eric in here? What's a, what's a, like, if you have a big number and you're streaming, uh, how, how does that exactly work? Right. Yeah. So he was saying 21,000 concurrence. What's a massive number when you're streaming? I mean, we were the biggest stream on a Saturday for, for slap. The, the good thing is, is that most of you guys don't understand social media and how it works. And wh who, what, what publication are you from? MMA Mania. Okay. Well, I'll give you the numbers on Slap that were done by a third party that does this. We, we didn't pull the numbers. These guys are like the Nielsen's numbers for, for, for social media. We destroy everything in sports with Power Slap. Okay. And are you at all concerned that it, some of it is perhaps, and I... This is, I'll apologize in advance because it sounds a little rude, but. No, go, fire away. Be, some of it might be laughing at, not with kind of a deal, like bad publicity being, yeah. you know. Do you think I give it? That's I why just I pulled, just I just did a deal that's bigger than the, than the UFC did when they went on Spike TV. I don't give a laughing. You know who's laughing? This guy. There you go. That's who's Thanks. laughing. That answered my yeah. question. Thank you. No, my pleasure. So Tom, you had you had you watched that clip yet? And if you hadn't, what are your thoughts on that exchange with the uh, with the MMA Mania reporter, who I actually don't know who that is, but credit to him for for pushing him on that. Because if I was in that chair, I don't think I would have believed it myself. Give me your early uh, reactions. My my rant is is basically over. If you couldn't, if you until that was just the cherry on top of how crazy I thought his claims were. Uh, I mean, I, I get it. I get Power Slap does 
numbers. Uh, Zen and the ETV posted a clip from a power slap event, and we were talking about. I think Nick Morgison had posted. It was talking about like the how you know gruesome, like barbaric it looks. Just the fact that you know there isn't any sort of art to it. It's just a bunch of beefy guys, and this is me giving my honest opinion, Zan. I'm not a power slap fan, as you know. That just seems like a bunch of beefy guys taking as many slaps across the face and as whatever brain damage that they can just to see who can take a slap the best. To me, that's not competitiveness. And I mean, it just doesn't surprise me, Zan, because and Dana White clearly seems to admit it here that he is a person where sometimes, Zan, not all the time, but sometimes, especially in a case like this, at least, good uh, any publicity is good publicity, whether it's good or bad, whether they're laughing with you or laughing at you. Yeah, uh, well said. Um, I mean, I'm not sure if you know this. There's an event uh, in late May, because of course there is. I believe it's the week that uh, there's no UFC event near the end of the month. I, I, I know you won't be watching it. Um I will, and and the reason why I'm still watching it is just because is there is I mean I'm just always curious, like especially with a new sport like this, is there anything that can change? And it's obvious that it doesn't seem like it's going to be going in that way. But uh, I I mainly watch it just for the just for the post reaction. I mean he he seems to be very excited about it, and I mean I don't know. I I think it was good on the reporters' part go to push back just because that sounded a little bit too good to be true in my opinion mm-hmm. for sure all right couple of last new stories we got to get in before we get into the big fight stuff quickly uh chris cyborg has resigned with bellator so she's still a women's featherweight champion uh you know she has re-upped her deal with the promotion we hopefully will see her fighting again in the cage soon uh i'd, I'd say kind of needed on both ends. i mean chris maybe more so for bellator but you know, Chris Cyborg has done it all in this sport. You know, uh, Strikeforce champion, Invicta champion, UFC champion, Bellator champion. Uh, the only thing she hasn't done is go over to the PFL and go up to women's lightweight to fight for their title. I think that's the one downer to her resigning with Bellator is almost certainly it seems like this Cyborg Kayla super fight is probably dead in the water. Yeah, it certainly it certainly does uh, work that way. Um, also, um, what's interesting about that is, um, is that, you know, you kind of, you just don't, um, you don't know, like, you you don't know, like, you know, does Cyborg still have, um, I mean, any, any formidable, uh, excuse me, any formidable challengers left to fight? That's going to be the big question, but it makes sense why she resigned. I mean, she's the biggest star at, uh. At you know, oh, at in those lighter weight classes, and she can make one forty five, so it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, she is one of the, she is one of the faces of, I mean, I'd say probably the face of the women's uh, divisions in Bellator. Like you said, one of the greatest women's fighters of all time. This is great for Bellator to have her again, and. You know, who knows how much longer she's going to be fighting, Sam. I know she does have the boxing fights that she does, and that'll also be interesting to see if she does any sort of boxing Bellator balance again. True. Um, I mean, what do you 
What do you think? Could you see her doing boxing again or no? Uh, I could see it. I don't know if we get to the point where she takes on, you know, one of these women's boxing greats of today, like a Serrano or a Taylor, but I, I could see her at least dipping her toes into boxing again. Uh, and if she does, when do you think that would be? I don't know. Is there a report on that she's going to fight soon? No, but if she were, I would assume probably this summer would make the most sense, right? I mean, Clarissa Shields is fighting in a few weeks, and that's a big name in that um, in that in that space. Obviously, um, obviously I would say I would say this summer. I would say this summer she needs to get back in the Bellator cage again. We need another think, women's featherweight women's featherweight title defense. You think so? I think so. Interesting. And um, if, if it were to be against someone, do you think Liz Carmouche is a worthy challenger? Hmm. That would require her to that would that would be essentially a super fight. That would require her to go up twenty pounds, would it not? Carmouche? Uh, it probably would, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I think with Chris Cyborg, your choices at the and Bellator, your choices at this point are that super fight or give her Kat Sangano. You think so? I think so. Yeah, I mean, would you agree that Kat Sangano seems like a more worthy opponent than Carmouche, just given that Carmouche has had so many chances? Carmouche um, has had chances. Blankow has had chances. I know uh, – I mean, Sarah McMahon did uh, go up to the number two spot in her Bellator debut, so I, I don't know if you throw her in, though, second Bellator fight with Cyborg right away. Interesting. So you you, you 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 don't think that's smart? I mean, I could see it happening, but I remember the last time Cyborg was in the cage, they were talking about her and Zingano. Yeah. So you never you never know. It's it's definitely very interesting, isn't it? Yeah. All right. I would I I would say though I would say though uh, I'm holding out hope that before she retires, that I can see her fight once in person, but. We'll see how that goes. Actually, given how much Bellator likes Chicago, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, November is healthy and she headlines the the. Assuming it's November Chicago card, I think it would do very very well. Um, um, if it uh, if, if if that actually um occurs, so we'll see. By the way, unrelated, um, the Chicago Blackhawks now have the number one lottery package. Is broke right now, so as a hockey fan, I'm very, very excited. I don't think I want to talk about hockey right now. <laughs> I, 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 I understand for obvious reasons, but I just had to mention that it just broke as we speak. They, they, they will have the number one pick in this year's NHL draft. It's gigantic news for any hockey fans listening out there. The Chicago Blackhawks have the number one pick. So there you, there you go. Now we All can right. transition into the fight recaps. Okay, well, actually, one more thing we got to talk about. So, Zen, yeah. I was very tempted to do a boxing gets in its own way because uh, Tyson Fury's promoters were saying that Tyson Fury versus Delay Zen now was looking like the next uh, potential WBC title fight and was looking at July. However, Zen, about an hour before we started recording, Joe Joyce, uh, you know, wait a minute, that's Joe Joyce's music. 
and it interfered, and he holds up a contract and says rematch clause. So maybe not. Well, hey, I mean, it wouldn't be another episode of the MMA Outsiders without something dumb happening in boxing, right? Uh, okay, you know what? I'll do it anyway. There you go. There we go. There we go. Here we go again. And, and, and I get it. I know Zhang had the upset over Joyce, but Zan, be honest with me. Would you want to pay $50, $60, to watch Tyson Fury versus Zeli Zan? I'd rather I'd rather be there. <laughs> if uh, I'd rather I'd rather be there. <laughs> I mean, Seriously. if I'm gonna if I'm gonna if I'm gonna actually I'd rather have my uh, I'd rather have my credential and sit ringside for that instead of subject myself to watch it at three p.m. on a on a um, on a Saturday in front of a television screen. Yeah. So. For sure. Yeah. Although that probably won't happen because. Um, it probably won't even be in the United States, so go yeah. go figure. It'll be probably in the UK somewhere. Yeah, probably, yeah. probably it'll air at some ungodly time at like three or four p.m. in the afternoon, and the and the undercard will be fights that of guys that no one has ever heard of. It'll be it'll be it'll be a spectacle. So, so typical boxing at this point, right? All right, now let's get into the fight recaps. So. Let's start with UFC 288. Aljamain Sterling remains your bantamweight champion, narrowly edging out Henry Cejudo. Some controversy with the decision. So, Zan, I'll start this off. I thought Sterling won the fight. I had it 48-47 to in favor of Sterling. However, to the judge, whose name slips my mind, who gave Aljamain Sterling round five to give him the win in a championship, are you kidding me? Like, are you being serious? Can you, Zan, give me any sort of explanation of how Aljamain Sterling won round five? You, you can't. I mean, I mean, if you, I mean, if you watch round five objectively, Suhudo is actively trying to finish the fight. Is he? Is he? Is he not? Yeah, he's landing the more effective strikes and has the better grappling. Like, that was a clear Cejudo round. I don't know what that judge was watching. And, that's and, he, near, and he nearly submitted him on multiple occasions. In and the, that's the thing the that ground. stinks. Right. And that's the thing that stinks, is that, you know, I want to say, you know, Sterling won the fight. I scored it, you know, as it was, you know, that Sterling won. But you look at that scorecard, Zan, and that fifth round by that one judge determined everything. Had he scored it what we all thought was correct, we're talking Henry Cejudo regaining the Bantamweight Championship here. Unbelievable. So Unbelievable. We've got, we've got, and Zan, I did a poll on our MMA Outsiders account and MMA Outsiders ETB. About 56-57% disagreed with the judges, felt that Henry Cejudo had done enough to win the fight. And it's just like... I mean, I don't know how you watch that fight. Honestly, I don't know how you watch that fight and say Suhudo won. Because if you think about it, I only had him winning uh, rounds three and five. I don't know. Well, I don't know about you, but it seemed pretty easy. Agreed. Agreed. It, it seemed pretty easy to me to give Sterling one, two, and four, right? 
I agree. I that's that's exactly the card as I had it. One, two, and four for Sterling. Three and five for Henry. I mean, anything I, anything less than forty eight forty seven to me is incorrect. You you can't even you can't even tell me that that was a draw. You 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 really you really can't. No, and, and that's the and that's the thing. It's like I want to say the judges got it right. But then you look at those scar cards, and it's like, no, they didn't. Uh, and it's like, but if you give, you know, you switch that scorecard around, and then Harry Siddle wins, it's like, no, he didn't. They, I, they I botched it. I was literally freaking out when Bruce Buffer said that, said that the one judge gave it to Sukuna. I'm like, oh my goodness, if they screw this up, this, this is going, this is going to be a travesty. And I, I literally said. As soon as Buffer said, and still, I was like, thank God. Because that would have been absolutely disastrous. And Dana White would have probably had a, had a field day with that. Oh, I mean, I mean, Sam, you can't escape controversy at this point. I know Sterling technically won the fight. I know we both scored the fight for Sterling. But there's no doubt that there's controversy at this point because of one judge's stupidity. Now, <laughs> it seems very clear, Zan, even though this would screen, you know, if Amanda Nunes versus Juliana Pena 3 was going to be a thing, that a rematch here should be necessary. But, I mean, let's get, let, let me bring up the other uh, banner here. So, Sean O'Malley got into a confrontation with Aljamain Sterling in the cage after the fight. It is very clear, Zan, that with Alja winning, that means, Zan, that means Marab is not going to, is going to not take the title shot again, which opens the door for the Sugar Show. And so it looks like the next Bantamweight title fight will be Aljamain Sterling versus Sean O'Malley. Now, they dropped, actually, Zan, a pay-per-view scheduling hint. They announced that the plan right now is the August pay-per-view, UFC 292, will take place on August 19th in Boston, Massachusetts. However, Aljamain Sterling, during post-fight interviews, has stated that he wants a little more time. He wants September at 293. Well, I got bad news for him. If they're already penciling in McGregor versus Chandler, he's going to be, he's going to have to be subjected to the co-main event, and that's the last and, thing he and, But then, but then, Boston, heavily Irish city, four days after the finale airs of top. You don't think maybe this is where the perfect opportunity is to put McGregor in? Ch- and I think Zan, that's part of the scheduling screwing up and questioning. Is we need freaking answers. What is going on with this McGregor Chandler fight? Well, I don't think they would do that fight in Boston. Number one and number two, Even McGregor the Irish, is a heavily Irish population, though. Yeah, and given the fact that Conor hasn't fought there in ten years, I mean. He only ever fights in Vegas, yeah. so they, they need they need a bigger arena than TD Garden. No disrespect to TD Garden, the fans will 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 sell out TD Garden in five minutes. There's almost no there's almost no doubt about that. But unless unless I, man, man, unless Dana White being the big Patriots fan he is, they do it at Gillette Stadium. <laughs> yeah, that would be insane. But I don't think that would happen, just given the NFL preseason schedule. And that whole thing, um, but nonetheless, I uh, 
I mean, yeah. I mean, as I alluded to before, I think Sterling's in for some bad news if he really wants September because he would have to be, um, uh, he'd have to be moved down to the co-main event in that case. They're not going to bring him over. And I don't think Dana or O'Malley are going to go for co-main events. I think they're going to want a main slot. Which no, and let's face it, Dan. Let's face it. The UFC is hoping O'Malley wins. Oh, of course, because they want O'Malley to fight Marab. Which, if O'Malley fights Marab, Zan, O'Malley is going to get creamed. He is going to get he's going to get taken down up and down that cage. It is going to be a one sided disaster for O'Malley in the UFC if they allow that to happen. Yeah, and I don't know if the UFC is thinking in this way, but do they really want Marab as their champion? I I don't know. I don't know if they do. But, I mean, a lot of this, Sam, goes to the frustration of Marab. I get it. Sterling's your boy. But you're really, again, it goes back to what we talked about when Marab beat Jan. You're really going to turn down a title shot? Really? Like, I I get it. He's your friend. But what have we talked about, Sam, that as much as Dana talks about this and some people, he's right. Sometimes in this business, screw friends. It's about getting the title and the money. Yeah, the biggest loser in this whole uh, in this whole saga Saturday night was Marab Devonishvili, without a doubt. I mean, credit I, I give credit to Ray Longo and Matt Sarah because they did an excellent job in coaching Sterling to the win. And I know Marab was in the corner, but I mean, Sam, the only impact, major impact that Marab did this whole weekend, and the only major impact that he's made as of late. Over the, in the last couple of months, other than beating Jan, is stealing Sean O'Malley's jacket. Uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, and he might have stolen the show by by by, by doing that in one of the most iconic post-fight moments ever. And I think that's going to be the last time you ever see a face-off in the cage because you could tell that Dana did not like that one bit. Well, that's the other thing. That's a Bellator thing. That's a PFL, a one championship thing. That's a WWE thing. We don't see that with the UFC. Part of me is thinking of maybe because it's O'Malley and he's the golden boy and, you know, all this, you know, major hype for him and trying to get all the hype for the fight. But that's not UFC. No, that no, but that did make for some hilarious TV, though, didn't it? (laughs) It It did. So I guess we're getting Aljamain Sterling versus Sean O'Malley August 19th in in uh, Boston. So like you said, I guess that means September so, so, is McGregor Chandler in Vegas. So, so this is my prediction. It's going to be UFC 290, obviously Volkanovski versus Rodriguez. You have 291 with, um, with uh, Edwards and Covington, we assume – 292 is Sterling versus O'Malley. 293 is McGregor versus Chandler. I'm predicting that that's in Vegas. But I'm going to put a twist in there and say that that's going to be at Allegiant Stadium and not in uh, and not at T-Mobile. But wait, 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 wait. Are you talking about September 293? I looked down for a second. Yes, correct. Ooh. So they'll, I mean, they'll, I... they'll, do, they'll, do, they'll do that at Allegiant. I guess that. Sorry, Zan. I'm, I guess the you know the date that that happens depends on when the NFL schedule comes out on uh, on Thursday. Saturday. I mean on the Thursday on Thursday about 
you know, what Saturday, the next day would have to be a road game for the Raiders. It's a good point. There's probably going to be one that fits in. My guess it's going to be whenever they do the McGregor-Chandler fight, the Raiders, there's my crossover prediction for any NFL fans out there. My prediction is the Raiders will go to Chicago whatever week they decide to do the McGregor-Chandler fight in Vegas the night before. That'd be interesting. Um, um, and then, and be... then, uh, and then, uh, and then in October, my prediction is Makachev versus Dustin Poirier. In November, it's going to be Jones versus Stipe. And then in December, it's going to be some massive fight that I'm not thinking about, uh, but that that you probably will think about. Uh, but yeah, that, um, that's maybe Zen Zen for for um for. It would be two ninety six in December, probably in Vegas. Maybe Adesanya versus the Whitaker Duplessis winner. Oh, that would be that would be insane. <laughs> that, that, would be, that would be insane. I would say, Zen. I would say, I would say the light heavyweight fight. But now, based on social media, it seems rumored that that Boston card is going to have O'Malley Sterling plus. Potentially Jamal Hill and Yuri. Well, here's another question: If it's going to be Hill versus Yuri, is that the headliner or is that the co-main event? I think this would be a rare circumstance where the heavier weight class is the co-main event. Yeah, I, I I think so too. I really do. Or 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 they could do what you said and make that flight Yuri versus Hill in Vegas in December too. That's true too. That is true. And and make it like an unofficial tradition that the light heavyweight title That's is December <laughs> is, is, the, is the December card. The and, December, and then maybe and then maybe you do Adesanya versus the Whitaker Duplessis winner to start twenty four. Oh, in January or February, hopefully, hopefully in Africa, that would be that would that would be crazy. It would hopefully in South Africa where both have audiences. Otherwise, you do it in either Australia or New Zealand. For sure. But yeah, that's my prediction for the UFC locations for the end of the year. Unfortunately, unless I'm wrong and we get a fight night card, I don't think Chicago is in the works and I got to wait another year, but uh, we'll see. Sorry. Hopefully, hopefully I can hopefully I can make it out to a UFC event uh, before the summer ends and hopefully it ends up being that August 19th card. I would love to be I would love to be at that cuz I have not been to Boston in 6 years and it's an amazing city. So Something to keep on my calendar and start thinking about. But nonetheless, uh, th- that's my prediction for the end of the UFC schedule, concluding 2023 with UFC 296. So, For sure. All right. Uh, let's talk about the other fights on this evening. Co-main event, pretty one-sided. Bilal Muhammad defeating Gilbert Burns. Dana White has confirmed now. Bilal, remember the name Muhammad. Well, remember this fact. He will be in line for the winner of Leon versus Colby. Which back to my Chicago comment, uh, there's no way they don't do a Bala Muhammad fight in the next two years that isn't in Chicago. One of his next fights has to be at the United Center, given that he is from there. And at one point, he actually went to my alma mater, the University of Illinois, but did not finish. So I think there would be a lot of reasons to bring a title fight to Chicago. And with him as one half of the headliner, in one of his next fights, that would make a whole lot of sense. So, yeah, for sure. Um, 
I got to give all the credit in the world to Gil- world together. All the credit in the world to Gilbert Burns, who fought three times in like a hundred six day span. But I think it kind of uh, it kind of showed the damage when he was taking on Muhammad. And I, it seemed like Zan. I was talking to somebody who was there. First round, he he seemed to injure his shoulder at some point. Oh yeah, his his shoulder was definitely injured. There's no doubt about it. Um, and I, I and and I want to know from you. I mean, was there anything that surprised you about the fight? I think I think it was a little more one sided than I thought it was going to be. And I think Zan part of that has to deal with the injury, and part of it has to deal with that. You know, Gilbert Burns was after Oliveira versus Dariush got moved to two eighty nine. Was, they were saying, oh, I'll, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll step in. He tried to play hero, and he tried to play badass, and ultimately he's cost himself a shot at the title as a result of it. Yeah, but that still doesn't mean his stock really went down. He's still no, over- no and, he's- I, and I think he's still going to – I think he gets to make one more push towards a championship at least. Oh, I think so too. You think his next fight is another big fight in your opinion? I think it has to be. The fact that he fought three times in 100-plus days – I, I th- all that he did for the promotion, and you know, again, the losses to Bilal Muhammad. Who, again, let's give Bilal Muhammad his respect. He's on the winning streak, and the only person who on this streak, Zan, he didn't, he didn't defeat, is Leon Edwards. The fight that went to a no contest. The defending welterweight champion right now. Well said. Well, I think Gilbert Burns versus Shavkat makes a lot of sense. I like that. I like that actually. Um, as of uh, obviously th- these rankings are not updated, but Shavkat's number six and Gilbert Burns is number five. I-, I like that. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's just a matter of Zan how long Burns is going to be out of action for. I don't know if he fights again in twenty three with how his shoulder was. Yeah, that's a good point. If he does fight in twenty three again for the fourth time, which would just be insane if he did. Um, my guess it would be it would be you know what it's going to be I think it's going to be a UFC fight night card in probably late September early October where they're the where they're the main event in my, uh, in my opinion. I could see that I would say more maybe between the Garden card and the end of the year pay per view. Okay, and could you see those two ending up on a main card again either in November or December? Uh, yeah, like, no, I don't mean at one of those paper. I could very well see it at one of those pay-per-views, but I, I was saying as a fight night in, bet- in between those two times as a main event, like you were saying. Oh, oh God, I didn't. So you could even see it. I, I, just think, I just think, I just think, um, Burns might need a couple of more months with, depending on, again, how damaged the shoulder is. No, right. So my question being... You could see it being where he fights at the end of the year UFC fight night card to close out the year. Uh one of the last ones, yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense to me. Overall though, good performance for Muhammad and it's good for uh it's good for Chicago. We have not had this much success and for the first time in I guess MMA history, we've got a top five heavyweight in Bellator and a top five welterweight in the US. Of C both from Illinois, which is pretty crazy. We have not had this much success as a state in MMA since Matt Hughes out of Hillsboro, Illinois, which is kind of wild to think about. But as someone yeah. who is a resident of this state, I am pretty excited that MMA somewhat feels important in our in our 
eight. So that, that that's good. We got to keep this momentum going with Daniel James win on the 16th. And if Muhammad gets the title shot, I think uh, Chicago is going to be pretty excited about it. And speaking of title shots and impressive performances, and Yan Jianon knocking out Jessica Andrade first round, the only finish on the main card, and Zan uh, definitely earns a performance bonus like she did. And it begs the question now, does this mean we're going to get Yan Janel versus uh, Whaley Zan next for the strawweight title? I mean, uh, I think it's a no-brainer. And Dana hinted that they're already working to see when they would come back to China. That would be a massive fight for that market if they, they could do it over there. I think it would be the biggest uh, women's fight in the history of that country if that fight gets done uh, overseas. And I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, those two women are, are, are fighters that are going to go for broke. It's going to be good. And it's blazing. Both of them are going to try to knock each other out. And Shaunan has some nasty power. And Zane can hang in the pocket. And th- that's going to be that's going to be a fight. If that fight takes place, I think it makes a whole lot of sense. And for Andrade, I mean, I think I think our stock just plummeted with that one. Uh, as we kind of alluded to last week. All right. So first, for, to your first point, given we just talked about with the UFC schedule, Yan versus John L versus Weili Zhang. I mean, absolutely, you do that in China, but that would have to be like Weili Zhang's title win, right? First title win, where you would have to be fight night right. main event. It would have to be fight night main event. Right. Or you could do this in Abu Dhabi as a co-main event. I, I could see that, too. If you really want to get that fight on the pay-per-view, Abu Dhabi makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, if they're going to do Islam as the main event, I think that makes a whole lot of sense for the co-main. Uh, as far as Jessica Andrade goes, yeah. I mean, she's coming off of a couple of bad uh, finishes, uh, you know, where she was on the receiving end of the finish. And, you know, I mean, the, the uh, path to the title at flyweight is now kind of locked down, especially after Alexa, Alexa Alexa Grasso pulled off that upset. And you have now the strawweight title scene kind of locked down. So it seems like with Jessica Andrade, there's nowhere to go. And Zan, it kind of alludes to what we talked about after Andrade's last loss, that I think it's time for her not to retire, obviously, because she's still in the prime of her career and she's still hanging in there with some of the best. But I think it's time for her to take a step back and really figure out what's next, and basically how she has to play the waiting game at this point. Yeah, I mean, is it worth uh, changing weight classes, or do you think she just really needs time off? I think she just needs time off at this point. It's fair. It's a fair assessment. Uh, overall, very good performance for her, but um, w- one of the fights that you've been desperate to talk about, and uh, you're dubbing as the worst fight of 2023 so far, was Charles Jordan beating Crone Gracie and uh, Tom after the first round, I literally said to myself, this fight absolutely sucks. And it, and it, and it did. <laughs> Can I say what I was trying to allude on Twitter and in my tweet? That yeah. Crone Gracie was trying to bring this fight back to 1996. Like when the Gracie, you know, in the nineties, when the Gracies were ruling MMA, he, looked, how- more like, he looked more like Royce Gracie fighting that Hughes in 2006. Maybe Royce Gracie fighting Ken Shamrock in 2016. Yeah, that's how Dana White would do it as well. He's like, uh, he didn't say this exactly, but in so many words, he goes, "Tough to win a fight when you have a when you have a game plan from 1995." <laughs> Man, look, I'm doing Crone Gracie's plan. 
Hull guard. Hull guard. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, I said, I said, Crone Gracie's game plan, and I showed a, a gif of somebody doing a leg drop. I'm like, that's yeah. all he's doing is sitting flat back on his ass trying to pull guard, and it's not working. No, that's literally what he did. And what made it even funnier was um, his his media day. I don't know if you saw it. He answered like ten questions in two minutes. And you just, you just he just <laughs> he said his boxing has improved, which Zen. <laughs> Really? Really? Yeah. yeah. And he was saying a lot of non-fight-related things, which made me very skeptical about, about how he was going to work on Saturday. And that that should not have been a pay-per-view opener. You know, you know what should have been the pay-per-view opener was the Matt Favola yeah. fight. Yep. I, I, I mean, Cone Gracie, I'm, I, you know, this sounds very harsh to say, but I'm sorry. He should not be in the UFC. I don't know if he should be in mixed martial arts at this point, that that's going to be the kind of performances he puts in. I would agree with that. Uh, and uh, what's even I feel bad. Than... I, stand, I actually feel bad for Charles Jourdain because he's an absolutely entertaining fighter and he got stuck in that. True. I mean, what's even funnier is uh, one of the questions that was presented was, uh, you know, it's the 30th anniversary of the UFC, you know, how do you feel about fighting during this year? And he goes, oh, I don't care. I don't care. And it's like, what? <laughs> you don't care? Well, clearly, Zan, he hasn't been doing much in the four-year layoff that he's had. No, he really hasn't. So, whatevs. But you know who did put on a valiant effort, Zan? I gotta give all the credit in the world to Diego Lopez. I mean, he lost the fight by unanimous decision, <sighs> clearly. But he gets... Um, Lovsar Volev, Volev, the former M1 global champion, in like three or four submissions that were actually pretty close during this fight. Yeah, they were close for sure. Um, and, and that would have been. A- sorry, sorry, but this is Diego Lopez also taking this fight on days' notice after Bryce Mitchell was forced out. And it was his UFC debut, so you got to give him all the credit in the world. Absolutely. Diego Lopez definitely. Definitely won some fans on this night, and I hope the UFC treats him well and gives him a next, you know, a good fight for his next fight. Yeah, very similar to the Chris Moutinho situation after he lost to Sean O'Malley. Yep. Yeah, sure. Uh, notable prelim performances, and we already mentioned one, Matt Frivola, absolutely phenomenal win. Calls out Patty Pimlet after the fight as well. Oh, yeah, that would be interesting for those two fought. Another fight that was uh, crazy was um, Kennedy and, and Jezeku versus Devin Clark was absolutely fireworks. What did, you, what did you think about that fight? I That was kind of a fun fight. I didn't know which way that one was going to go, and it was a back-and-forth showing, but you knew it was going to end in some sort of finish, and credit in the world that Kennedy got the got the guillotine choke. Uh, yeah. I, I also want to shout out from the early prelims, Ikram Alaskarov. I mean, blasted Phil House into the... Into the uh, into the shadow realm. I can't believe he didn't get a performance bonus. Yeah, for sure. I mean, those early prelims were rock solid and congrats on starting three and oh, I, I, I didn't do as well to start the night, but as you guys know, I went six and six. It was much better than my three and eight performance a week ago. So Tom, I got to say overall in terms of a grade, I got to give UFC 288 a B plus. Uh, I'm going to be a little harsher. I'm going to go somewhere either B or B minus. I think you oh, can't. Oh, 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 come on. Are you serious? 
Well, let's let's be clear. Out of all the UFC pay-per-views of the year, this one was the worst so far. Okay, yeah, I agree with that. This uh, this one kind of stunk. I mean, between the Cejudo controversy, between that horrendous Charles Jordan Grown Gracie performance, I would even say, Zan, we're going to go after the judges, also the Chaos Williams win. How is it that you give Chaos Williams two twenty nine twenty eights, but he loses the third scorecard 30-27? Yeah, uh, those judges uh, didn't know what they were watching, uh, in my opinion. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with a B, only because uh, I mean there just was there was an oomph, you know, to some of the previous pay per views that just wasn't there with this one. Now, granted, we started the year off hot, Zan, with several big fights and big pay per views. Obviously, there's gonna be a misstep every now and again. Oh, of course, of course, absolutely. And, and this isn't, and this isn't a straight up misstep. This wasn't horrendous like some of the fight nights where we've seen. Where Zan, I think earlier this year, didn't I give my first F for a fight night grade? Yeah, you did. Like uh, we've seen much worse than this, but at the same rate, you know, I mean, I'll since we're going into one championship, I'll say it that I between UFC and one championship, I really love the one championship card a lot more than I did the UFC card this weekend. Oh, that's bold. I would just will say that UFC was more entertaining. Some of the some of the fights won me over, um, but um, yeah, I mean, one championship was amazing, and we'll get to that in just a second. A, a really nice card to start their USA journey as a promotion. Yeah, for sure. I think this card was an absolute success. Uh, let's talk about it. Demetrius Johnson. It comes out on top in the trilogy fight. And he wins a unanimous decision. He retains the one flyweight championship. However, he is not committing to retirement yet. He asked the crowd, you want to see me fight again? They cheer and then says, oh, I got to talk. I got to talk to my wife first. Yeah. I mean, DJ, it's, it's pretty ironic that you have DJ, the greatest flyweight ever fighting on the same weekend as Henry Cerruto Triple C, who they have their own history uh, with. But yeah, a very a very nice performance for DJ. Not a surprise that he won. I I, I didn't see it going any other way. And uh, he's just a super class act and a very good representative of one in its organization. And no matter what he decides to do, I think he goes down as one of the best ever. And has to be at, in that MMA Mount Rushmore conversation, especially for the lighter weight classes. And anyone who's followed MMA for as long as you or I have would would not dispute that one bit. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Demetrius Johnson has shown that, you know, like you said, even after his UFC days, even after the UFC basically told him to F off after losing a fight to Henry Cejudo, which, you know, some will still say to this day that he had won. I uh, thought he won. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like he goes off to one championship, gets sent off there. And look, he dominates the flyweight scene other than the one loss to Adriano Marias, which isn't technically a really terrible loss. And now he got to headline a Colorado card and, you know, the first U.S. soil one championship card and it delivered in Zan. I have to say the Colorado crowd was insanely hot. Like one fight that we're not going to really touch on too much, but something that sticks out in my mind, Zan, Rotang's fight for the Muay Thai title. And this Colorado crowd that Zan, Rotang doesn't seem like a star here in the United States. They were going bat 
bleep crazy for Rotten. Yeah, I mean, this Colorado crowd was into it the whole night. Um, the production value was insane. We were we were texting during the event, just talking about how insane it looked on TV. Like there was nothing that could have gone better for them for that event, and it, it just the pacing of it was awesome. And like I, I don't think the event could have gone off any better on TV. That, and it did a huge win for Amazon Prime and that promotion. They're going to be doing big business together for several years. And, and, I, I, and I want more one championship cards here. Oh, me too. Because I want to go. I want to go to one. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, I'm were, sure. I'm sure we'll easily be invited to one. Hopefully, they were. They were asking me if I could fly out to Colorado for the first one, and I'm like, as much as I would love to, I have other commitments for graduate school, like covering Bears' uh, rookie mini camp. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, whenever they. Asked me to come to one again. I'm I'm definitely I'm definitely going to try because uh, because it seems that they just treat everyone well from fans to media the whole thing. I mean, even the credentials looked absolutely insane, like one of those keeper ones that you always hang on to forever. But uh, but but but, but yeah, I mean that that was a wild show and g- good for one for getting in front of an American audience and the the the, the opening ceremonies were just absolutely breathtaking. I mean, the whole event was just. It felt like an old school pride event, but a modern. I love, I love when they do that. When it's whether it's Pride or One or Ryzen, I love the opening ceremony when they get all the fighters out. Oh, it's super! It's super awesome. Um, but yeah, very very successful show. Uh, other fights, a couple of other fights to touch on because we touched on them previewing last week. Well, Sage Northcutt shut my mouth up pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I was, uh, I, I was uh, damn right about this. It's a very nice win for the looking for a fight alumni. He beat a guy that he should have beat, and he did it in very impressive fashion. Super grateful after the fight. You could tell that he has his head on his shoulders well, and he's not the same pretty boy guy that he once was, and good for him. I think he needed this win, and I think he proved it uh, to to the world that he's back and he's going to be hopefully a threat and somebody that one can really build around and make – him one of their big stars. That's probably that's probably their goal. Especially now that here they're here in America, and hopefully, Zan, I mean, more American uh, athletic commissions approve their rule sets like Colorado did, so we can get I mean, one kind of all around the country. Oh, I mean, shoot! If they can bring a fight with Sage Northcutt to his hometown of Katy, Texas, or even Houston, that would be. That would be sold out in 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 minutes. I can gu- I can guarantee you that. For sure. That, that would be that would that would be insane. But, oh, but yeah, very, very good performance. Oh, by the way, Zan, you're now two and zero when it comes to interviewing fighters for the show. That all link song uh, submits fan wrong in their uh, in their fight. I'm actually four and zero because um, David Cosmo won, Uzain Kieta won, Angwa won, and Daniel James won. Oh, Daniel so, James, Daniel- right? That that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the run continues. Good for Ong. Didn't have a scratch on him, and uh, he is just one bad dude, isn't he? <laughs> he, sure. he? He looks like the most non-intimidating guy in the world, and is also a very nice guy to interview. Was very was very uh, helpful in all of his answers, and a super classy guy. But man, I would not want to be standing across the cage from him because he because he just absolutely dominated Ong. <laughs> Okay, yeah. it would be it would be wrong 
wasn't even in the on the same level as Ong. It was very impressive. It was like it was like Rong had tried to steal his lunch money or something. It was that it was that good. No, I know. Uh, speaking of trying to steal your money, well, I hope everybody who paid the sixty dollars for Canelo versus Ryder enjoyed it. Split a spoiler alert: I did not. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's Canelo Alvarez, one of the stars of boxing, but yeah, I mean, this was... I don't even know how this went to a unanimous decision, Zan. I watched the highlights, and there were points where this could have been stopped. Yeah, I mean, my brief breakdown on this fight was um, Guadalajara, Mexico had a damn good time uh, watching this fight. Tom, did you happen to see the entrance for Canelo before the fight started? What was that? Like WrestleMania or something? I thought I thought it was one of the most badass entrances I've ever seen. And they treated that thing like it was the freaking World Cup. I mean, that was like the most elaborate production I've ever seen. Um, but the fight certainly was not World Cup quality. I mean, John Ryder has a tough chin, but Canelo's Canelo and he did his thing and he probably could have won the fight in the seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth, and he just didn't do it. But Nonetheless, though, Canelo is one win away from 60 wins. Tom, just briefly, do you think Dimitri Bibble makes the most sense for him to try to get his light heavyweight title back? What do you What do you think? I mean, it's probably, probably, yeah, at, at this point, because I don't know who else you fight at super middleweight or at, a, or at middleweight, for that matter, that can match up with Canelo at this point. Very, very well said. Congratulations to Canelo. Um, but for uh, briefly for DAZN, another uh, catastrophe a little bit. I mean, they again. I, 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 man, what did I say last week? That they were nuts for putting this kind of fight with this kind of price tag just a couple of weeks after uh, Tank versus uh, Garcia, which, by the way, all credit to them was a great success. But then they're going to throw this. You know, sandwich, Zan, I didn't even mention this last week, but I mentioned on social media, sandwiched between that fight and ESPN Plus in a couple of weeks is going to have Devin Haney versus Vasily Lomachenko for the Undisputed Lightweight title. Yeah, I mean, I think DeZone really dropped the ball. I mean, when you look at the fight side by side, would you agree that even though ESPN Plus's calendar is not fleshed out yet, that they'll probably end up having the better fights Overall sure. for the year over DAZN? Yeah. I'm sure. Now credit. Now credit. It was Cinco de Mayo weekend. Canelo always fights on Cinco de Mayo weekend. My point is that with given the boxing schedule with those pay-per-views and the kind of success that you just had with Tank and Davis, I mean with Tank Davis and uh, Ryan Garcia, this fight should not have been a pay-per-view. This should have been for DAZN subscribers to watch. Well, it was unless you were in the United States and Canada. So, so just because we're in North America means that we have to that we have to pay for it. Yeah, unfortunately. But for all the DAZN Global subscribers, they got it for free. Thanks, DAZN. Yeah, DAZN uh, fumbles another one. D a uh, d a l zone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was just going to throw this graphic up again, but that works too. Yeah, I mean, 
that actually is a pretty nice ring to it, doesn't it? D A L zone or D A F R E E zone in parentheses outside of the United States and Canada. <laughs> I. All right, before we go, Zan, we have a couple of uh, smaller kind of cards coming up this weekend. We got Bellator 296, which takes place Friday on the 12th. Special main card start time of 4 p.m. Eastern, because we're heading over, Zan, across the pond. I believe we're going over to France for this card. Yeah, it's another one of those Bellator International shows, and it's a damn good fight at the top. Uh, This feels like a must-win for Musasi, does it not? I think so. I mean, if he wants to get the if he wants to get the middleweight title back, it's got to be a win here. Yeah, this is big for my uh, for my rankings assignment this week, isn't it? Because <laughs> I got to figure out where Musasi goes. I mean, after, Zan, this, uh, is, this is one versus two. They can't get no, any bigger of a contender fight than this. No, I know. Oh, that's that's why I'm saying it's it's big because it's going to determine the future of the division and determine the future of how we the we the media rank the top ten. So there you go. My early pick, though, uh, unbiased opinion, um, even even though I technically am part of the promotion now because of this, my unbiased opinion is that Musasi does win a decision over Edwards, uh, winning the fight four rounds to one. Edwards rocks him early, tries to pull a Johnny Eblen and make the fight interesting and gas him out, but I think Musasi's learned his lesson, and I think he'll come back with a vengeance and coast in the next four uh, to 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 stake his rightful claim as the number one contender for a rematch with Eblin, hopefully later this year. I, I think Masasi wins. I agree. I think 49-46 would be my max, though. I could see Edwards definitely stealing around. I could even see him stealing two rounds. So are you going 49-46 or 48-47 with that I'll, being said? I'll go 48-47. Okay. I like 49-46 Musasi, but I'm glad we agree with that one there. Staying, uh, going back to the United States, this no, time we're... Actually, I want to I stay here because then we actually have a very important co-main event because we have a lightweight Grand Prix first round bout. The former Bellator lightweight champion Brent Primus is going to be taking on Mansoor Bernawi. And I know you're high on Mansoor. Does he have any sort of a chance in this one or do you think Primus' wrestling is going to be too much? I think I'm going to lean to Mansoor. Let the madness happen, please. You know what? I I I like it. We'll stick with the same theme. I got Mansoor finishing Primus uh, before the final bell, probably via TKO. I have Mansoor TKO the round three. Okay, I've got it in round two. All right, perfect. All right, now we go back to the United States. Yeah, so we're back in the United States, this time with a... Heavyweight main event, Jorginho Rosenstrike, a familiar name to many of the hardcores, fighting Jolton Almeida out of Brazil. Uh, Tom, uh, any any predictions for this fight? We have a special start time of 3 p.m. Eastern on ABC. Yeah, this is an ABC card. So, I mean, not the strongest card, but I'm glad it's on ABC. I'm glad they get the little prime time, you know, and networks uh, positioning, uh, which we'll probably see a little more of with... Um, with the summer months coming up here. Uh, um, here's my prediction, Zan. Someone's going night-night. That's my prediction. Yeah, I think, so. I, yeah I think someone's going to sleep. And uh, I actually like Almeida in the spot. I think he gets the biggest win of his career. I think 
think he finishes Rosenstrike, and I think he's going to be a problem um, at heavyweight over the next two years if he can get this win. And I think if Rosenstrike loses, his stock totally plummets given the way the heavyweight division is slowly but surely uh, shaping up to be. And honestly, if Almeida can win this fight and maybe another one, you could see him fight Sergey down the line. And I don't think I'd be opposed to seeing that, and probably neither would you. Neither would I. However, I think Rosenstrike is a little more experienced. He's fought, you know, some of the bigger guys. I think it might be a little too much for Alveda. Give me Rosenstrike taking it in either round two or three. Fair. And uh, I could even see this going the distance, too, if one of these I guys could, gets. Yeah, that's the other thing I was. Sorry, Zan. That's the other thing that was going on my mind is that we've seen Rosenstrike, you know, hold guys against the cage and stuff. Like, it could be one of those fights, you know. I'm saying someone's going to sleep and then watch it be. It's just an absolute bore fest. It, it could, it could very well be. Uh, well, that's all the time we have for this. Actually, week. Oh, sorry, Zan. Go I ahead. do have one more fight I'd want to talk about. Let's oh, talk about of course. the main event, Anthony Smith and Johnny Walker. Oh, I of mean, course. We, we can't, we and forget this when we have paradigm's finest taking on Anthony Smith. It should be a very interesting fight a very important fight in a light heavyweight division that you know has a lot of question marks with uh, the top of it and two guys well one of them who who was a light heavyweight title challenger and another who is still finding his footing and has not been the same over the last three years so I mean Zen uh could you say this is must win for both of these guys yeah I'd say mu- more must win for Anthony Smith because because obviously, I think MMA experience plays a factor. He's fought a little bit too long. Uh, Johnny Walker just can't afford to get knocked out again. And so I think uh, someone's getting finished in this fight for sure. If you want one bet for me this week, this fight is not going the distance. Yeah, this fight doesn't go the distance. And Zen, I would say Johnny Walker, this might be a little bit of a guess kind of pick, but... I think Smith's taken a little too much damage over the course of his recent career. I'd say round one or two, Walker gets it done. Uh, yeah, I like I like Walker in the second. So we're split on the main and co-main event, but we both think the same that it'll be over before uh, the judges are uh, needed or or not needed in this case. That again is all the time we have uh, for this week. This has been um, another episode of the MMA Outsiders. Again, I'm Zan. And that is Tom to my left. You can find my work over at bjpen.com. I am a, I am a staff writer there. And, of course, you can find Tom's work over at Fanside and MMA. Be sure to like and subscribe and share the MMA Outsiders podcast uh, um, everywhere. And, of course, be sure to follow everything that is on the Empty the Bench Network. And be sure to subscribe to all the podcasts on the Empty the Bench Network across YouTube and all the audio-only platforms like Tom mentioned, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, what have you, wherever you get your podcasts. We are all there if you don't want to see our faces every single week. Uh, and, of course, we'll be, we'll, we'll be back to our regular schedule uh, next week. And things are starting to slow down just, just a little bit on the combat sports front. But, of course, it's going to pick back up here in the next several weeks. Tom, do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here? Just just uh, our usual P. Joe Pfeiffer. Yeah, uh, Joe Pfeiffer, for those who don't know, a, a documentary has came out on him that uh, premiered uh, last week in New Jersey, so congratulations to him. And uh, I'm very happy for him. It's a real rags to riches story, and I'm glad to see that it's being publicized. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, thank you to everyone who tuned in. 
to this episode. We know it was a long one, but thanks for sticking with us. This is why MMA is no offseason. Um, again, I'm I'm Zan, and that's Tom. This has been the MMA Outsiders, and we will see you uh, next week back on a regular schedule here on the Empty the Bench Network. All right. Sounds good. All right, Zan. For Zan, I'm Tom. We'll see you, everybody, next week. Take care. Take care. Have a good one. Thank you.